Remember me, O Lord, when you come into your kingdom. In the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. This is Great and Holy Thursday. It commemorates many things. We read about them this morning at Matins. But I want to talk to you about the most great thing I think ever happened in this world. The greatest miracle was the Holy Eucharist. That we who were baptized and chrismated can receive the body and blood of our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ in a holy meal. And this meal not only nourishes the body and heals it, but also it prepares it for eternal life. It is fitting, wonderful, I think, that Christ, when he goes to be his, his passion, and the reason he goes to his passion is to destroy death and sin. Before he does that, he has a meal with his disciples. It was not a Passover meal, by the way. It was like a, a Shabbos meal, similar. And of course, that meal, he changes the nature of the meal. He takes a very old traditional meal and gives it a new meaning, a new context, a new relationship to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In Corinthians, Paul tells us the words of Jesus, you'll eat my body and my blood. The bread I give you is my body. The blood I give you is your drink is that wine is my flesh. It's one thing to die for man. We lived through, in my lifetime, many, many wars that died, men have died for other fellow men. And of course, Jesus Christ died for us, but he did great something greater. He turned his life through death, destroying sin, and giving us the Eucharist. And he fructified that Eucharist by his resurrection. So we should remember. John 6. Unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you do not have life in you. And further, in another place, it says, You will eat my body and drink my blood, and I will give you life. And another place in Paul, he says, For me too is Christ. All of us know uh, we like to eat. 
And all of us know that we have very nice things to eat, especially this time of year. But how does us realize the greatest food we ever receive is the body and blood of the Lord? I think one of the days, great days of my life, the greatest was my ordination day. I was very happy. I was like Paul. I didn't know whether I was on earth or on heaven. And the bishop, Terence Cardinal Cook, laid his hands on me. I was a Christian when I knelt before him. When I got up, I was a priest. And after the ceremony, the bishop met us in the Lady Chapel of St. Patrick's Cathedral. He gave us the faculties of the eparchy or the diocese. And he told us, you've not lightened your load, you've made it heavier. I never thought about that. I thought about the liturgy. Standing at the holy table and celebrating and Jesus Christ coming down, body, blood, soul, divinity, into the bread and wine. The following day I had my first liturgy on a Sunday. And uh, most of my family was there. And I gave them Holy Communion. Magnificent. Magnificent. And in my life, I went 40 years straight, never missing a day without communion. Sometimes in the military, it's very impossible to celebrate or to receive communion. Now when I think about it, I think I should have got a locket and just carried Jesus with me. But the church frowned on that. But I think it's a good thing. I think it's so good to take and eat the body and blood of the Lord, to be transformed in Christ, to say, I live, not I, but Christ lives in me. I fairly rarely meet with my classmates. As I went, after four years, I went in the military, as you know, and I was away from there both the Byzantine eparchy and the Western eparchy, the archdiocese. I think it was a good thing to serve the men in the military, to feed them on the body and blood of the Lord, to baptize their babies, marry them, encourage them that they were dying, to give them the body of the Lord when they were dying as the food for the journey, heavenly kingdom. It's a sad thing to be a chaplain sometimes, 
There's young people in the military, and many of them are coming up. But can you imagine a chaplain walks onto a battlefield, he's got a locket with him, which he carries above the sacrament, and he gives this man absolution and feeds him on the body and blood of the Lord, prepares him for his final journey. He probably, I would say, goes straight up. He's certainly in a state of grief. We on earth, we build beautiful memorials to God. And I was reminded when we consecrated this cathedral, the first thing we did was consecrate the holy table, the throne of God. The whole building was built for that holy table. Our Father, Son, and Holy Spirit would come down into the Blessed Sacrament. Where a more immortal man who was ordained a priest would say the priest of Christ because he said at the Last Supper, do this in remembrance of me. And heaven comes to earth. I think uh, I wasn't too uh, keen on uh, having holy hours. But sometimes I would get up if I knew where Holy Hour was, this is a big city, and there would be Holy Hours all through night, different places. And I would go there. And I found out that was a wonderful time spent with God. And the beauty of the place was this. In the middle of the altar was enthroned our Lord. With 14 candles and beautiful flowers. And loving people gathered around. I've had two uh, unpleasant experiences since I've been a Catholic. It's all my life. One was... Uh, I used to work for the uh, Franciscans when I was in seminary in St. Joseph's home. And every day I would go there and I would see the sisters there. I'd uh, um, go to the Eucharist and see the Holy Communion and spend some time there praying. One morning the Mother General came in these sisters, you watch them pray. They walk around the chapel to each station to cross, like they have in the Western Church, holding their crucifix. I looked at their crucifix. At each station, they would kiss the cross. 
they had on them. It's a good, good-sized cross. And some of them had it warded out. There was no longer a corpus left. They kissed Jesus off the cross. Very edifying. The Reverend Mother came in and she told them that Rome sent a message that they could not have such an ostentatious cross and they had to remove it that day, that minute. So I watched what the sisters were going to do. Some took the cross off and hid it in their clothes. Some just pushed it under a scapular. Many of them put it down. I said, how cruel. How very cruel. How disappointing. How unfeeling, how lacking love to the brides of Christ, because he was their groom. The only other time I've really been uh, sort of scandalized is when I saw people going to communion casually. Running into church, getting communion, running out. Is that the way we greet our Lord in the Holy Eucharist? I'll tell you something that was greater to me during my formative years, and even now, is that after you receive communion, spending time with the Lord, They told us the seminary, we probably have the Lord with us for about 15 minutes. What a precious time. Mary held Christ in her womb for nine months, and maybe for many years, receiving communion, the body and blood of Jesus, giving thanks for 15 minutes, you too will have held Jesus in your, under, under your heart. You too will grow. You will too will not neglect the presence that's in you, Jesus Christ our Lord and his Father and the Holy Spirit. I think that's a wonderful way to show appreciation, not just the holy hour when he's there with you. Third point, marriage. I married a lot of people. From what I hear, most of those marriages were pretty successful. I'm tough. I don't let them get married without instructions. And our bishop said the priest has to sit with them and give them Ten instructions. A married couple come in, if they're really in love with each other, you can see it. The way they touch each other. The way they talk to each other. The way they answer the priest's questions. 
Not all marriages are that way. Priests shouldn't marry them. What he does is he doesn't want to get a letter from the bishop. Marriage in our church is in the blessing of the priest. The priest perfects the sacrament in the man and the woman. It's not a legal sacrament. It's not just vows. We don't have any vows. It's the blessing of the priest. In other words, Christ's blessing unites them in marriage. The next thing they should do is consecrate their marriage by going to Holy Communion together. seeing the body and blood of the Lord together to seal their marriage in the consecrated life of Christ. I remember Bishop Shane. I met him once. Beautiful people, beautiful man. He was all white. Just his hair was white. His skin was white. He was really white. He was getting old there. He looked beautiful. They had beautiful blue eyes. And Bishop Sheen said it takes three to get married. It takes a man and a woman and Christ. Jesus thought so much about marriage that he gave, made it a sacrament. But those people that could receive that sacrament must be Baptized, chrismated, and a state of grace. Seems like to me marriages are not respected. It's a sacrament of Christ, a sacrament of love. The other thing I used to love was. Uh, when I was at the mother house, the Franciscans, I worked there for a few years, so they were very good to me. And they would have the new girls come, the novices, and they would, they would be novices, they would be postulants, and they would be novices. And they'd have a great big ceremony. And they would come into the chapel all dressed in wedding gowns. Sometimes these wedding gowns were the gown that their mother had worn when she married the father, her husband. And it really made my heart jump to know that these young ladies were going to be brides of Christ. It's nothing quite as exciting you know, being in a seminary in September when all the new men come in to study for the priesthood. Not anything is so exciting as to see a young man come barefoot into the church in his baptismal robe and fall on the floor to become a monk. He's being 
is wed to the Holy Trinity. Sometimes people do not respect these things and they are critical. They forget that heaven is made up of those who are completely wed to Christ. Today I want to say to you also this beautiful feast of the Holy Eucharist, the priesthood, the consecrated life, I remember it was on Holy Thursday. I was in seminary, and it probably, pretty sure it was a Holy Thursday. And uh, the ceremonies were so long <laughs> that um, we had to take a break in the middle of them, actually. Very long ceremonies. And my parents were there. My mother was crying. My dad was uh, worried. He says to me, you know, Joe, I have the car outside. I can take you away from here. I said, Dad, I don't want to go away from here. I want to do this. I have a love affair with God. It's not easy, but it's magnificent. What person can you think of that every day, as frequent as possible, is fed on the body and blood of the Lord, whose sins are totally forgiven, who is overwhelmed with sanctifying grace, the energies of God. We should renew ourselves in these recollections, especially during these whole few days. And we should try to stay as close to Christ as the apostles were at the Last Supper, Yet one was a traitor. He grabbed the bread and ate it, but not with love and respect. My dear brothers and sisters, you are the body of Christ. Look in your heart every day and renew the divine spark. Go to the Eucharist as often as possible. We are a long ways from the early church, not particularly in this church, not the Byzantine church, but in general, in Christianity. Christianity, they didn't have the privilege of liturgy every day, in fact, it was an anomaly, actually. But they had it on Sunday. 
and they went there for the breaking of the bread, it says in Acts. Which received the body and blood of the Lord. And soon, the church began to grow. And the apostles ordained their successors precisely for the body and blood of the Lord. But they would be without that. And Cyril with Jerusalem says something strange in one of his uh, elements of homily. But he says that uh, he told the Christians to be careful how they stored the body and blood of the Lord. In other words, they would go on Sunday, they would receive the holy gifts, they would take them home, and they could communicate during the week. The church was not as, was under persecution and made allowances. I remember recently reading about the Patriarch of Moscow during World War II. He told his priest, we don't have intercommunion. He says, give communion to everyone who seeks it, who is fighting in the battle. Of course, he cut that out after the wars were over. The one consolation we have on the battlefield is the Holy Eucharist. I was late one time for military formation where they were getting the men ready to go fly somewhere. I don't know where they were going to fly to, and they didn't know either. And uh, I got there late because I couldn't find a parking spot. And the, the uh, colonel there sort of chewed me out. He says, you know, they're waiting for you. I said, yes. I says, but, you know, if you want me to get here, give me a parking spot. I was always a little bit fresh, you know. He said, well, just go over there and do what you're supposed to do. He says, you know, these uh, superstitious Irishmen, they will not go and get on the plane and go on their mission unless they have communion and they're in a state of grace. He says, yes, you should do the same. Holy Communion is heaven on earth. It's a beautiful gift. It makes you the children and brothers and daughters of the Heavenly Father. No greater gift could have given to us by Jesus Christ than saying, this is my body and this is my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.